I think initially it was about an interesting idea and a, and a decent team because you know as founders we're always hopelessly optimistic about anything and everything in the world and I think the idea catches our fancy more than anything else. Today we had Harsh Shah on the podcast. Harsh is the co-founder of Find. Find is India's largest omni-channel platform helping retail businesses accelerate growth. Find was acquired by Reliance in 2019. Harsh is also a prolific angel investor. He's done over 60 plus investments. In this part, we covered his investing journey, his investing style, his portfolio companies, how does he source deals, pick deals, win deals, how does he help founders, his advice to operative angels that are looking to start angel investing, who is he outside of work, and some other good stuff. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I hope you will enjoy it too. Awesome. I am super excited to have Harsh Shah, co-founder of Find on 1947 Operators Podcast. Harsh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. We'll dive right into it, Harsh. What drove you into angel investing? And do you remember your first investment? Uh, I think what drove me into angel investing is very, very personal and I think it is the same reasons why it's personal for every other operator as well. Uh, When we started off uh, 10 years ago, we had the good fortune of having multiple angels across our journey um, help us not just with capital, but also a lot more insights and handholding into how we went about building our company. Um, And I just felt a lot of indebtedness to the ecosystem um, that this, that there's something that, that I'd love to play a part as well. So it, it started off with being, you know what, here's something interesting um, and here's something meaningful and valuable that I'm able to give. Mm-hmm. What it morphed into um, are two separate threads. I think one is as the company has grown, as Find has grown, um, as we as founders have gotten into different stages of managing and building the company, there's something that we miss about the early stage enthusiasm and the uh, and the hustle mm-hmm. and bustle of you know the first hundred days or the first thousand days mm-hmm. um, and i think this is one way for me to vicariously live that yeah. uh, at least by sort of you know putting some money on the table and taking almost like a back seat or maybe a sort of you know trunk seat driving uh, with the founder mm-hmm. um, and the third thing that ends up happening with by doing this is it keeps me young, honest, and my ear to the ground to just look at new ideas and new spaces. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think it it comes up with these three angles. Um, I think financial performance of these investments is how I would judge my my investment mindset by, but that is by no means the reason why I'm investing uh, in startups. Uh, the first investment that we made was back in December 2015. Um, a very small investment, a two and a half lakh rupee check. Um, this was to a company called Bizongo. Um, wow. It is a company which I'm still invested in um, yeah. and they've done phenomenally well. Um, and I think it, it began because Bizongo were team were IIT Bombay juniors. Uh, they were also juniors at Opera Solutions where Farooq and I used to work. Um, and it just became one of those organic reach outs where they said, hey, we're looking to start something like this. We'd love to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And it was not a conversation for angel investment. It was purely a conversation for, 
hey, we're looking to start something. We'd just love to sit with you, get to learn how you guys started something. And we said, you know what? This seems interesting. Mm. Uh, how much ever money we had at that time to probably invest. He said, we'll, we'll put some money in. Mm. And I think that's how our investment journey began. The 2015 to 2019 were few investments here and there, usually with a close circle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think after 2019, after we got some amount of liquidity, um, after Alliance invested in Find, mm-hmm. we were able to amp up our angel investing a lot more post that. Uh, but I think Bizongo still remains uh, a very a very dear investment of, uh, of mine because it was the first one and yeah. it's done significantly well for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a special one. And <clears throat> Harsh, you know, I had uh, Akrit Vaish uh, on the pod, and I'm sure you probably know him. And, you know, he had the similar take as well. And in fact, his favorite things is basically looking at portfolio founders' updates. Uh, from that's, <laughs> and, he, and he's learning a lot from those updates. <laughs> you know, that's keeping him fresh, relevant, understanding about new markets, new technologies. And Harsh, with this, you know, how do you source deals? How do you pick deals? How do you win deals? And how do you help portfolio founders? Uh, on the sourcing side, there are four major areas uh, of sourcing. I think uh, one is cold outreach that happens on LinkedIn, email, WhatsApp. Um, either, and this is completely, completely cold, right? I mean, I don't know the person. We've got no overlap whatsoever. But someone just emails me or sends me a message on LinkedIn um, saying, hey, Harsh, this is what I'm building. Would love to spend some time thinking about it and see if you are interested in in, in investing in us. So that is one way. Um, not a lot of deals have happened through that route. Mm-hmm. Um, I think purely because the volume is just so high that for us to, um, to even read between the lines and try and pick something interesting. Um, I think as founders, we're always interested in, in anything new, but to just sort of, sort of put some discipline in there, um, that source doesn't give as many conversions, but that's one. I think number two is existing networks of college or work. Um, mm-hmm. So IIT Bombay being one network um, where you're used to work, Opera Solutions being another network, Find being the third network. Um, and also then other companies that I'm an investor in, their team members then sort of you know, re- you know moving out and starting something I think all of those become part of the professional network, right? Yes. That's the second source of deals. Um, fairly good chunk comes from there. Yeah. The third source of deals is uh, is essentially other operator angels. So Akrit being one of them, um, and you've got so many more uh, in the in in the ecosystem today that invest on the side, and and we've got these multiple WhatsApp groups where we'll keep sharing deals. Uh, we will either tap on each other to try and get feedback uh, basis some person's expertise and understanding there. So I think that becomes a good source of investment, um, and usually the conversion on deals is is, is the highest for this channel. Yeah. And then the last is through more professional investors, either micro VCs, small funds, or even large VCs, right? Mm-hmm. Who know that I invest, um, who know that there are certain sectors in which I've had some experience in. Um, and then they would reach out and say, Hey, we're looking at this team. Very interesting. I think you should look at them too. So I would say these are the four, four big sources of deal flow. Got it. And, uh, and Hirsch, you know, you see a lot of deals. You speak to a lot of founders, what triggers you to invest? What's your investing criteria? You know, um, initially, uh, and you know, because 
this kind of has changed over time as well. I mean, as I've learned, as I've gone through the ups, downs, enthusiasms, the enthrallings and the disappointments and the almost like sort of, you know, tearing my hair out situations also. I think I've learned how to, how to manage this better. And I, and I think I'm still learning. I think initially it was about an interesting idea um, and, uh, and a decent team. Um, because, you know, as founders, we're always hopelessly optimistic um, about anything and everything in the world. And, and I think the idea catches our fancy more than anything else. Uh, we're, not, we're not tuned to do a lot of diligence on data, market, competitors, etc., etc., because in our own companies, our belief has always been we'll build something good, we'll be able to then sell it and then make a large company out of it. So I think initially it was more about the idea. I think over time, it's become more about uh, the team's ability to identify and work long-term in a problem. Mm-hmm. Because I think we've also ourselves gone through multiple pivots. Um, and, and I think we've, we've had white hair to tell us that, you know, pivots are absolutely fine. So what, what ends up being super important is a committed founding team, which is willing to work in that problem area, which is a fairly large problem area for at least 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and if you've got both those in, no matter what money you put in um, at a 15, 20 year horizon, you're always going to be up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as, as you know, someone who's deploying a personal capital, we don't have to model for fund economics, you know, exit multiples, IRRs, MOICs and yeah. the likes of it. Um, so as long as we're able to, uh, to grow our capital, um, I think, I think that's the lens that I would take. So good founders, committed founders, smart founders, uh, willing to work in a problem area for the next 15, 20 years. Got it. Strong founders willing to work in a problem for the next 15, 20 years. You have those, yes. reach out to Harsh. Absolutely. So I think, I, I think there are two components of strong. There is smart as well as committed. Right? So I think both are equally, equally important. Got it. And Harsh, you know, you've done uh, over 50 investments. Uh, maybe let's talk about some of your portfolio companies, some of the big wins uh, and right. some misses. Uh, and course, what were the absolutely. learnings from them? All right. Uh, let's start off with the with the wins per se. Um, Bizongo, which is my first investment, is definitely a huge win. Um, yeah. Outside of that, I've got Chaios, um, also sourced from you know, people who were IIT Bombay seniors, as well as people who used to work with us at Opera Solutions. I think that's done decently well. Again, one of those companies where you've got missionary founders, super smart, um, can do this for the rest of their lives for the next 50 years if they have to. Right. So I think mm-hmm. that worked out well there. Um, another good company is a company called Fashionza, uh, where I was lucky to get uh, uh, involved at the very first round as well. Uh, unfortunately, Pawan didn't take a very large check, but a small check nonetheless there. Mm-hmm. Um, then there is Tutsi, which is in the invisible aligner space. Um, I think that's done decently well. Uh, you've got a company called Tamasha, uh, which is in the social real money gaming space. Again, great founders, um, absolutely you know, understand the pulse of entertainment for tier two, three, four India very, very well uh, and mm-hmm. being able to monetize from there. Um, so that's done well. Uh, Wind Wealth is another company which is which is sort of, you know, building alternative investment products um, for, you know, retail investors outside of just equity. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a company that has done, that has done very well. Um, then on the 
on on the clean tech side you've got a company called solar square which does mm-hmm. rooftop solar for residential uh, um, uh, uh, infrastructure uh, company again done done very well there um, and i think you know i've been lucky to get a few more so on surety on the insurance side of it um seco uh, which is more the sort of vernacular uh, you know short video format learning application app i think some of these have been have been great wins for me yeah um some of the the companies which have not done well um i think there was a time where i almost took a thesis bet on extracurricular activities uh for edtech um, so i think uh, i i sort of sidestepped the thesis on core curricular driven edtech but i had indexed uh, with the thought that i think for extracurricular edtech um, students and parents will, will sort of pay more uh, but that has not panned out uh, in the way i had hoped for it to and there are a few companies that are doing decently um, still yet to sort of break out but overall that that thesis hasn't sort of panned out um and one or two places where have been opportunistic uh, probably got some fomo invested some money in that uh, those haven't worked out and i think uh, you know i think that has been a learning for me on that fair i'll always talk to the founder and try and not not not, not invest in fomo got it and uh, man that's a it's a long list of great companies harsh and <laughs> uh, and also on the flip side harsh you know there were some companies where you had an opportunity to invest and for that's whatever right. reason you ended up not investing right. and they did they are doing really good uh, maybe if you can Absolutely. talk about those companies plus yes. the of course so i think uh, the top 3 on that list for me is uh, i think one is a company called bevakuf um which uh, was again started by prab junior from id bombay knew him well uh, never ended up sort of pulling the plug because we'd been part of the fashion sort of e-commerce uh, ecosystem through find and we just saw how tough it was to actually build a business there and you know you always end up uh, you know i mean and, and this is true that every every founder you will ask they'll never start up again in in the space that they've started up before because mm-hmm. now you just know so much about yeah. that space that it's almost prohibitive for you to do that so i think that was the reason why I never pulled the plug with bevakuf but it turned out being a great company um exit wise it was probably not the best exit for everyone but i think as a company as a core fundamental company was was very very good um, so so that would be one miss i think two misses for me um uh would be in the social media space for india the one is a company called kutumb um and the other company is a company called anar um i think in both my my usual my usual sort of um sense was you know social media wasn't really super into about it taking over any of the existing social media platforms and i kind of underestimated the vertical nature of sort of bharat and sort of building for that space specifically um so i would say ended up missing out on both kutum as well as anar um anar also missed out because i think the founder reached out through a cold linkedin posting hey i'm trying to create a whatsapp group of founders in mumbai would love for you to join mm-hmm. and you know now i do spend a lot of time with him and you know, nishank agrees that it was it was a bad move it was almost like a yeah. uh, like a really cheap move for him to do but uh, but you know i think also that also i would say both him and kutumb um, kutumb abhishek Uh, i knew him when he was working on his previous company uh, in 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 the beauty and sort of uh, you know spa space i just but i just couldn't pull the plug uh, on this and i think similar to that model was a company called khata book um, where um, i again sort of sat out of that um, yeah. but uh, yeah those would be those would be my misses i think learnings there was i think i over indexed a bit too much on the space uh, and not on the founders 
specifically um, where I was where I got a bit too biased on the current solution that they have and wasn't able to then think through what would that morph into or understand the problem area more deeply uh, and and just the will and skill of the founder uh, I, I under indexed on that I would say that would be my sort of learning from those misses. Got it, got it. <clears throat> so just keep betting on the great founders and usually what they set out to build, that's not the end game and yeah. there's tons of pivots. Uh, and Harsh, you know, of course, you've been in the ecosystem for a long time. You've built a brand for yourself. You've sold a company or, uh, you know, Reliance ended up investing a big chunk there. For you, you figured out your ways, which are, you know, those four uh, channels to source deals. Uh, let's say, you know, there's, a, there's you know, an, an operator who's looking to start angel investing. What advice right. would you give uh, to them? How to start angel investing? I think as an operator, there is so much value that you can provide to, to companies that are looking to start up. Um, and not just at the starting up stage, but across multiple stages of the company company's journey. I think number one is... A, accepting and owning up to the fact that you have a lot to give to such founders. Um, and even if it doesn't mean putting money out there, but giving your time to founders, to hearing them out, to helping them, to advising them, to just sort of be a sounding board to them. I think, yeah. think of starting there. right? And as you start interacting with many such companies, you will organically also get the inclination to say, I'd love to, you know, be a part of your journey and support you financially as well, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't mean that you've got to make a large ownership stake that you've got to take or a large investment that you've got to make. It's just, you know, putting money where mouth is. But I think yeah. it, I think it starts from saying, yes, I would love to talk to founders uh, to try and, you know, tell them the mistakes that I made, uh, to try and tell them some things that worked for us. Um, and I think take it from there. So I would say that is one way. I think the second is, I think amongst other operators, other investors, I think their portfolio companies are always going through multiple uh, areas where they need help. And I think just be available um, mm -hmm. to sort of provide that help from whatever your sort of sphere of expertise is. And I think starting at that point um, is just very, 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 very good. Got it. Love it. And, uh, and Harsh, if you were to, you know, start a new company, how would you go about constructing a cap table, meaning you're raising, let's say, you know, your first round of outside funding? All right. So I think, uh, um, you know, the Harsh Jain recently tweeted about this, I think, what, two days ago, three days ago, on the best way to, to sort of uh, have a cap table where you can own 30% at the time of unicorn round as well. Um, you know, I think how founders wish that they could be in that position uh and, you know, you've got a lot of people also commenting on that tweet of how it's not usually um, how it runs ideally. But if I were yeah. to start off again, I think number one is understanding what sort of a business are you building. So if you're building a business which has um, a lot of capital investment up front, uh, either in terms of building the product or in getting off the ground and acquiring an initial set of consumers or clients, whether it's B2B or B2C. Uh, I'm okay with sort of raising a little bit more at the start right? mm -hmm. because um, capital at that time will probably give you a slight competitive advantage and also will give you more time to experiment um, and do more things um, to try and just, you know, get to the next milestone faster. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think, you know, I keep telling this, my, co- my sort of portfolio companies as well, that even if you were to raise what about 200, $500,000 more in, a, in the first round, I think the worth of the last $500,000 in your bank is significantly higher than the worth of the first $500 in your bank. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think um, it, it, it's okay if you were to, if you were to try and raise slightly more, uh, given that you're building a company which requires a significant upfront capital from a, either a build perspective or a go-to-market perspective. If you're not building one of those companies where there is a where where you are able to build out and you're able to scale iteratively um, at 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 very well defined milestones, um, I think then you should probably take less capital upfront mm-hmm. and ideally you know just get operators operator investors on board and maybe one or two sort of you know institutional investors ideally just one institutional investor um, who can sort of anchor that round for you with probably just you know 10-15% dilution there, but um, but iteratively build that and take a view of, you know, running the business for the next 20 years. So then don't try and over-optimize for something for the first six months, 18 months, 24 months, uh, if you're going to build that business for the next 20 years. Um, so for iterative businesses, I think be supremely hawkish with how you end up building your cap table uh, and with whom um, you would you would actually do an agreement or do a deal with and, you know, who you get on board as an investor. I think even amongst operators, pick the right operators who can help you navigate those systems better. Yeah. Um, and then pick the institutional investor who can help anchor this round and hopefully the next round also. Got it. Uh, be mindful of what kind of investors you're inviting and uh, just think long term. In- and then I think depends depends on, 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 the type, on the type of company that you're building. So yeah. if you're building a B2C business where, you know, initial network effects are supremely important, it's okay to raise a bit more. Yeah. Right. Um, so, and if you're building something in the deep tech space where product building itself will take significant investment, it's okay to sort of raise a bit more. Yeah, but if you're building something on the B2B verticalized SaaS play, mm-hmm. where you can go iteratively building the business in line with building the product, I think you can be a bit hawkish. Got it. Got it. With this, Hirsch, my uh, co-pilot has, has been knocking my uh, back. He wants to get in. So he's asking you, Harsh, uh, if money and attention are not needed anymore, what would you work on? I think um, space aside, I I don't think, I mean, we got into the retail space purely by accident. I don't think any of us were from the retail space. We just thought that, you know, we'd be able to create impact out here. But I think, um, I think the, two areas that I would love to sort of, you know, spend my time on. Um, I think one is spending a lot more time on the zero to one journeys, whether it is within find or outside of find. So whether it is through other portfolio companies or whether it is, you know, within the company as well, starting new initiatives, starting new business lines, new product lines. I think spending a lot more time on the zero to one journeys because I think that's where I really enjoy myself. And, you know, I believe that I'm able to, to, to provide a lot more value and impact on that side. And I think the second would be to actually get a much larger view on sort of looking at problems at, on a global macro scale. Um, so I think two, three areas would be uh, definitely on the on the climate and sustainability side of it. Um, another one would be on the sports and sort of you know, extracurricular activity side of it. Um, I think these would be the, would be the sort of 
two areas and probably the third would be you know globalization right so i think companies that are sort of driving or ideas that are driving globalization um i would say these would be sort of the three areas that i would love to spend more time in Got i think it. at find we're doing globalization also within find so i think you know, that's something there but i think amongst the portfolio companies i think sports sustainability um i think are two areas that i'd love to spend more time in and harsh how much of your success would you attribute to luck and why if you do um uh, so i think luck plays a very very large role uh probably about 50% role there the other 50% is you doing things to increase the surface area of luck yeah right so um you've got to be at it uh in order for you to find yourself in the right place at the right, at the right time yeah. right so um i think luck is supremely important but i think it's it's sort of half important the other half is you know just doing everything possible to try and increase the surface area of luck gotcha got it and uh, harsh what's your relationship with money um i think it's it's uh, it's an important aspect of our lives today to allow us to you know pursue uh decisions and passions without having to think about you know a near term financial return on those um but i think it's super important for you to have a large part of your um the work that you do uh being accretive financially um because i think at the end of the day it's not really money uh, but money kind of signifies the value that you're providing um and and uh, and i think those two are linked so there's there's large part of your work which should be towards you know value accretion which will probably flow into sort of financial uh, more sort of tactically speaking money and then having a significant portion of it and the significant changes for you know different people but having but having that sort of critical mass that allows you to do things which doesn't require you to get financial benefits in that quarter in that month in the next 6 months to a year Mhm. Got it. Got it. And Harsh, you know, we know you because of uh, you know as an as an entrepreneur, we know you as an operator angel. What do your friends know you for? Who are you after the work? <laughs> okay, I think uh, after the work my friends know me I think last in the last two years as a uh supremely doting dad um mm-hmm. of a uh of of a baby girl um i think you know that's 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 one large part of my identity now um second is someone who loves traveling across the world uh, almost counts countries uh, to go to and just exposing and you know doing everything and immersing someone and immersing us fully to everything that the country or the town has to offer mm-hmm. um someone who is really really passionate about formula 1 and cricket uh, uh formula 1 from a following perspective and you know cricket from a both playing and following perspective uh and someone who prides on having a very high uuiq and the uuiq is an utterly useless information quotient um <laughs> so someone who loves building range um and i think among sports i can follow and i can watch any sport yeah. except maybe synchronized swimming and uh, maybe you know croquet So I think apart from these two sports I can probably follow any sport whatsoever. Guy and and what's your favorite country or city? Oh, so you know um I think I would love to believe that I haven't gone to my favorite city yet. So there's a very interesting poem uh, um called Ithaca uh mm-hmm. which talks about how you know everyone 
you know, yearns for the destination, uh, but it's only the wise person who loves the journey more than the destination. And even if the destination doesn't have to offer anything, uh, the journey has been so enjoyable that, you know, you would, you would enjoy the destination even more. So I'd like to believe that I haven't you know, come to my favorite uh, place yet. Uh, but, but I would say from a, from a single location perspective, I think, you know, Bali is amazing. I think outside of snow, uh, Bali has got everything for you to offer. Uh, but I think as a overall country perspective, I'd say, you know, Europe, you know, mainland Europe is just amazing because it has, it has everything there. So, yeah, I mean, if you had to pick somewhere, some one place to go to, I think Bali would be there one place. Yeah. Now, now I wonder why your friends uh, say that you love traveling. Man. Your energy level went on on another level. <laughs> <laughs> another level when I asked you, what's your favorite country? I know city. But, there you uh, go, right? Yeah. But, thank you so much for doing this, coming on the pod and really walking us through your investing journey. Uh, I had so much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Shua. Thank you.